Today, we are having a first. We are actually participating in a live podcast. And in a few moments, Larkin and Tark are going to come down here. But during the podcast, it's going to be recorded today, and then it's going to run tonight and tomorrow. So again, lots of energy, lots of fun. Let's start the show. WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail, in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Come on! Come on, stand up! Look here! You guys gotta get excited! You podcast is that uh, there are 150 people here, and he will tell people in the future that there were thousands of people here. There were here. thousands of people here. In fact, that was my part. That was my favorite part. I'm going to leave now. So it's important that you be as loud as possible so that his story will stick. Um, I can gonna, edit this part out. We're going to work later with Cameron to understand podcasts. She said it's going to run on, on tonight and tomorrow. It'll run forever. That's it's not a, how podcasts, podcasts work, just but it's on fine. The internet. We appreciate you. You can listen to it it's fine. a century from now if you wanted to. Yes. Um, but that's okay. We'll get there. Um, I was told that, uh, although I don't think he's here, I was told that our friend Tom Murray had, had said to an employee at CRVA the other day something about a, a podcast and was referencing it as like a video feed. There's also a, not a, a lot podcast of misunderstanding is, but, of podcasts out there. Although there? I, th I think we do have one friend streaming it on their Facebook today. So hello to the Facebook world if you're watching. Mm. Um, to tell you a little bit, before we bring Tracy up, we're going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing today and, and what our show is in general. Uh, as well as the work that the city council does. So as was mentioned, I'm a Democrat, Tark's a Republican, and uh, somewhere along the line when we first got sworn in, and we were part of a youth movement on city council. In 2015, there's 11 members of city council and zero of them were under the age of 40. Uh, in the 2017 election, six of us were under 40 that were elected. So one of the biggest shifts in the country, if not the biggest shift in terms of age change on a local elected body, uh, and that's obviously been really exciting for us and really exciting for, and maybe at times frustrating for the people that have to work with us at City Hall. Um, we do things like live stream our meetings now on Facebook. Um, we've put the public forum back on television where it had been taken off. Tark and I have started a podcast. Our friend Braxton Winston does a lot of live streams out at different events and things that he's involved in. And so we're trying to be more uh, open and engaged with our constituents and with our city. And this podcast has been a great way for us to do it. We didn't check before. I think this is episode 32 or 33. So we don't even know anymore. Somewhere in there. Um, we're so, and we've we're had so big time. Three yeah. members of Congress on. We've had the former mayor of Houston on. We've had our mayor, Vi Lyles, on several times. So it's been a great way for us to engage and have dialogue with each other, uh, but with our colleagues and with, with peers at other levels of Talk government. Talk more about the youth movement. Is that like a, it's like a bowel movement, but more exciting and, and hip? The youth movement? Tarek also likes this podcast because it gives him a chance to try out his material. Uh, Got a lot of comedy jokes. material. They all work. Which typically. doesn't usually land. Um, Come on. But it's been good. This is our fourth live audience show. They're a lot of fun. At the end, uh, or possibly in the middle if we, feel, uh, if we feel so inclined, there will be a couple of handheld mics going around and we will take some questions. So anything that you guys want to ask us or our guest Tracy Dodson, uh, you'll be able to do so. Just raise your hand. We're going to have two people Tracy Dodson's not nervous at all coming mics. up here. Uh, she's and, not nervous in front of a crowd. She's just nervous when she gets around us, us. because yes. <laughs> Tarek says crazy things no. and she has to rein him back in. No, not true. Make sure that the city uh, doesn't end up in the news for all the wrong reasons today. So who are we uh, meeting with today? Did you already cover that? I have not talked about Tracy yet. No, no, no the, the, the people oh, in this Oh, room? sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are here with Visit Charlotte, uh, part of CRVA, and so... We're, we're now prefacing this for our listeners at home that listen tonight or tomorrow or any other time they want. Um, Just tonight and tomorrow. We're so going to take it down. So, so that they true. know uh, who the audience is. And the audience, as, as you're well aware, because you are it, 
is a big part of our hospitality and tourism sector here in Charlotte. So Visit Charlotte, CRVA, really focus on building that industry. And as was mentioned by Winston earlier, uh, one in nine people in our community work in the hospitality and tourism industry. It's the industry I work in, so it's really important to me. And uh, I've been a member of this organization for several years and have, have been glad to get to know a lot of you and call a lot of you friends. So um, that's gonna be the focus today. We're gonna talk a lot about economic development, about hospitality and tourism, and how the things that the city has done and is doing impact those industries uh, here in Charlotte. So Tar's gonna talk a little bit about what the city council does if you're not a, a big political nerd, if you're not a frequent listener to our show. How many people listen to the show? Three, awesome, four. Okay. Out of the thousands of people here. She's like, I, I haven't caught it. I, I, I fell asleep before 11 when it, when it came on last. Um, so you guys need to download the show, first of all. This is the most incredible show in Charlotte. A lot of people have said that. And, At um, least one. Everybody's At least one person has said that. Everybody's saying that. So you got it. You got to download. It's on your phone, your smartphone, your flip phone. Um, but uh, what was I going to probably talk about? not on your flip phone. What did you want me to say? What we do on city council. What we do on city council. Let me walk you guys through it real quick. Um, it's a youth movement, as Larkin already mentioned, and uh, we do a lot of stuff. We meet on Monday nights. Um, we have committees uh, that uh, span a lot of different topics. Uh, you probably heard the theme of this year's budget, really. Uh, has been one of affordable housing. We've got a $50 million bond that's coming on um, the, uh, the ballot in November for the community to vote on. Uh, we will also be working from now till then to finalize things like frameworks and strategic plans, hopefully, and things like that. That's one big area of topic, uh, and a committee around that is housing and neighborhood development, the HAND committee. Um, then there's um, uh, TAP, transportation and planning. Larkin was wondering if I could do this without notes, and I can. Transportation and planning is all about transportation and planning. planning. And I mean, there's a lot that goes on in those words. You know, the two of them are big words and there's an and in the middle. So that's tap. Do you know what we do in that committee? Yeah, transportation and planning. I already said it. Right? Yeah. Okay, good. It's really a great primer for someone who doesn't pay attention to city council. Exactly, right? Public safety, that's another one where we, um, we make sure the public is safe. And public safety, I'll go a little deeper into that. Um, one of our colleagues, you may have uh, seen him or heard of him, Braxton Winston, part of the youth movement. He actually was part of the protests in 2016 and um, really quickly rose to fame afterwards. And one of his marquee topics uh, is public safety. So we're both on that committee. We've had a, a lot of great debates about um, the, the report that we got from um, from an independent third party uh, that looked at 2016 for lessons learned. We're really trying to make sure that we balance uh, uh, for the police officers, holding them accountable yet supporting them. I think that's a really unique angle um, that we really have to get right because you can do both. I, I truly believe that. Uh, there's the budget committee, which um, th that hard work is kind of over for the next couple months because budget was really hot and heavy in the first two quarters. But uh, we'll start thinking about budget next year. When Tracy comes up, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and we're also doing some things about government accountability in there. Uh, what am I forgetting there, Larkin? A couple. couple? Oh, you're just going to sit here and let me uh, sweat her out? Yes, because you said you could do it. <sighs> environment. I'm a big, big environment guy. Environment's my thing, not Larkin's. So uh, we care about the environment in there. We just passed a, uh, a um, what are those things called? The, yeah, you're uh, really into the environment, I can tell. It's huge, man. It's huge. The environment is very large. There's also the committee you and I co-chair. We co-chair a committee called um, the Intergovernmental Relations Committee. We have chairmanships. That was really important. And that's where another huge topic, we work with Raleigh and we work with DC and, um, and as well as uh, the other governmental bodies in town. Like Harrisburg, where's Troy? Yeah, Troy, uh, Harrisburg representing in the, in the house. We appreciate you. So those are the kind of things that we're working on. And as you probably know, if you followed the news at all in the last couple of years, the relationship between Charlotte and Raleigh hasn't been maybe ideal. So one of our, our mandates in this committee is how do we build those, those relationships back? How do we help them with things they need to accomplish to really um, you know, show proactively that we care about that stuff? But then how do we start getting some Charlotte items back on the agenda? Um, so well, uh, one, one thing, I'll jump in there to his point yeah, about please, trying to build those relationships. That's part of the point of this podcast is that we have Republicans on, we have Democrats on. We are a Republican and a Democrat. And I think so much of the current political climate has led people to feel like if they don't agree with someone's politics, they can't engage with them on anything. 
And that's completely counterproductive. And so what that's manifested itself as in Charlotte is when we've had a, a legislature that does not have the same political values and priorities that our local government does, that they hate each other, and then, and then bad things happen. Y'all are in the hospitality industry. You saw a couple years ago uh, what that can turn into, what that can look like when two groups are not only not speaking to each other, but are kind of out to get each other. And so we're trying to make sure something like that doesn't happen to our city or any city again, because it probably hurt all of your businesses a few years ago when all of a sudden people started saying, well, we're crossing North Carolina off the list of places we're going to go have our convention or have our annual sales meeting or whatever else. Um, so I think it's important that we build those bridges. And there's yeah. plenty of people that, that I interact with in Raleigh that are Republicans or that Tarek interacts with in Raleigh that are Democrats who we might disagree on, on 19 things, but we can find that thing we agree on and work together on it and at least have an understanding and respect and a dialogue that's not going to lead to another uh, incident like we had a couple years ago. So. One that shall not be named. Now, um, I, I think that the, it's not that, now that we're, what, nine months in or so, it ha it's not that complicated. This is not rocket science. I mean, you literally, like you said, find the areas of focus that, um, that we can find agreement and get something done. And in my opinion, I don't know if you agree with this or not, it, you know, you got to swallow your pride a little bit and come up and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not big time. You're not big time. Let, let's, let me come to you and, and see how we can build these bridges because it's been so bad for so many years now. I mean, would you agree that that's the recipe essentially? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's got to be some humility, but there also has to be, people can see whether or not you're genuine in, in your approach to them, that you want to work with them. And if, if I spend a lot of time trashing and, and, and talking bad about the people in Raleigh who then write the laws that govern our city and our state, um, that's probably not going to yield good results for me or for our city, um, and, and vice versa with Tarek if, if he's trashing and tearing down Democrats. So you can, you can voice disagreement, and we do that frequently on the show and with our guests, while still being respectful, you can, you can disagree agreeably, and I think there's not been enough of that in politics. Yeah, and I think that's probably the theme of this youth movement that you've uh, articulated. Which so tell is, them about our last committee. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Then, just cut me off there. I'm not, I won't talk about the theme. That's fine, Larkin. Um, so the last committee is economic development, obviously one that is near and dear to everyone in this group's uh, mind and heart. And... Um, we focus on a lot of things. We focus on everything from projects like Eastland Mall to, um, to uh, Panthers and what's going to happen with the, the new ownership and, and, and down that path to uh, enticing businesses. You probably heard about um, uh, Amazon's HQ2 search. That was obviously something that's in the realm of economic development. But so are a thousand other things you've never heard of that come in and, and our city and their, and their partners go after. So economic development is a huge, huge angle here. And uh, where I said that uh, this year, hands down, was easily uh, a budget and a theme of affordable housing, I believe that next year um, it's going to be one of economic development, of, of workforce development, of, of growth in that, in that market. And those two years together should create a theme of upward mobility, which is very, very important. So with that being said, it's probably time for us to welcome with a warm, warm round of applause, the head of economic development for the city of Charlotte and assistant city manager, ladies and gentlemen, Tracy Dodson. You get a car, you get a car. I'm not sure I can live up to that. That was my Oprah voice. That, that, that was a lot. Sounded just like it. <laughs> Larkin, take it away, bud. So Tracy has been with us for three months now? Just over 100 days. Just over 100 days. She's counting. How many sure exactly? Felt like I know you know the exact number. It's probably about a... Oh, well, actually, it's, it's almost 120 days. 120? Yeah, I'm a couple right. days short. Wow. So more like four months. Yeah. Um, so Tracy has a background Math. in the public sector then went out into the private sector and then found her way back home here with us. And we were really lucky together. She has seen on the private sector side of, of a lot of these economic development deals and a lot of these uh, large projects, she'll probably mention uh, the River District. That's one that she helped spearhead recently. Those are the type of transformative projects that bring more people to Charlotte, both from a visitor standpoint, uh, new residents, new jobs, uh, entertainment options, and hopefully put a lot of uh, butts in seats or heads in beds for the businesses that you guys 
that CRVA and Visit Charlotte are involved in. So Tracy, tell us about some of your private sector experience and how that led you back to the city. So I don't stay, I, I tend not to stay one place very long for, it's not intentional, but I was trained as an architect, worked in architecture, all in Charlotte, all of this have worked for the first time of my three times for the city in the planning department, worked a lot on the transit in the South Corridor and doing that. Went private sector, did development, worked for Center City Partners doing um, economic development. Uh, went back to the city at one point um, in economic development and then found my way to Lincoln Harris where I worked a lot on our large scale projects um, in the city. So from your Ray Farms to your River Districts, projects like that. In that time, also served on the state transportation board, so got to spend a little bit of time in Raleigh, and finally decided that it was time to come back to the city again, because these guys make it so much fun. So found my way back, um, and now come in with a very holistic view. Um, it is about the growth of not just our city, but our region. Um, while I work for the city, I'm thinking on a regional level and how we're growing as a region, and how important it is to connect things like transportation and infrastructure into economic development and the full picture of everything. So Tracy, the question on everyone's mind after 120 days is clearly, who's the best person on city council? You're not gonna bait me. But the number one person, would you say? All right, who's the worst? You're not gonna bait me. We know, we know who, who you're thinking. By the way, side note, Winston, I broke your chair and I apologize. I'll fix that, go ahead, you ask her a question. Oh, I oh, broke my chair. You broke your chair. Larkin, go Winston, ahead, these are really high-quality chairs. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather oh. not have anyone taking pictures of uh, There we go. Guys, Clark snap fixing a few chair. pictures like that. There we go. It's just audio. Winston, you need new chairs. Um, so, Tracy, of all the things that we've got, I know just last week, um, I got to be part of the groundbreaking for Bojangles Coliseum and Ovens Auditorium. This dude renovation loves edition. groundbreakings and I ribbon do. cuttings. I'm really like, good with a shovel or missed, scissors. He does like three a day. Um, <laughs> My shovel arm's getting strong. Um, <laughs> what, they don't what, they don't, chair. what they don't realize is they're not asking him to like come do the groundbreaking. They're like, will you work the first shift for like three hours? So I always leave after the first shovel of dirt. Um, that's obviously going to be impactful in terms of bringing visitors to our, our community. We're working on something right now with improvements to the convention center, which this is part of the larger footprint of. What do you see as some of the biggest economic development projects on the city's docket that will impact our friends here in the hospitality and tourism industry? So you just mentioned two. I think we've, we are partners with the County Memorial Stadium. That's, that's another one. Um, the city also has, is getting ready to launch uh, the Gateway Station project in conjunction with the state. That'll be a new Amtrak station. So you think about visitors coming into our center city. Um, it, all these projects have a hospitality and tourism aspect to them. I think, you know, when we talk about Eastland, we're talking about hotels, we're talking about restaurants. You know, you don't build out, in, in the case of Eastland, you don't build out 70 acres without having some of that as a component of it. So we've got a lot of projects. Um, we talk about the 7th and North Tryon project that's really being spearheaded by the county. The city participates in it. You have uh, Brooklyn Village that's right down the street from here. Um, that again, it's more county, but uh, the, the city wants to be a supportive partner in that. All of that, and Winston, I know mentioned the Stonewall Corridor, all of that is, is building out our city and building more capacity and reasons for people to come. And maybe, I'm sure a lot of folks in this room already know, but explain the tax mechanism by which we pay for a lot of these projects that, that all of our uh, audience here is intimately involved in helping generate. Yes, yep. walk us through all the ways the government steals money from all of us. <laughs> Says the Republican. <laughs> It's not so us, probably. it's our visitors. <laughs> oh, cool. Yes. So, and I won't go, I'm not going to go into deep detail on it, but basically, you know, hotel, motel sales, rental car tax, a portion of that goes in um, to the fund. There's four different buckets within the fund that help fund some of these, some of these projects. And so we, we look at the projects um, on an extended timeline, we look at the projects that we've already invested in and the life and maintenance of those projects and kind of think forward in those, in those as well. So we're constantly looking into those buckets. Like I said, there's, there's four um, that support different things in different categories, whether it be uh, NASCAR itself, the convention center, or other um, tourism projects such as Memorial Stadium or, or Bojangles. 
And so it's a constant, you, you guys have seen our projections and potential projects that are sitting out there, but it's a, it's a constant flow of just watching those projects. So let's drop into a project or two. Which would you like to start with, Larkin? Well, I'm excited about the ones in my district in particular. I represent where we're sitting right now, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, so the Convention Center, Bojangles and Ovens, Memorial Stadium, a lot of exciting things happening in District 1. Um, but I think it's all beneficial for all of Charlotte because, I mean, the people that come and stay for a convention aren't all going to be able to stay right in uptown Charlotte. And so we're seeing a proliferation of new hotels and things as we create more attractions to, to bring more people. Okay, uh, Memorial, Memorial Stadium. So Memorial Stadium, one of the things that we've done, and this is a good example, one of the things we talked about. Does everyone know where Memorial Stadium is, I assume? Yeah? Right by CPCC, right outside uptown. Um, Tark mentioned that we're the co-chairs of the Intergovernmental Committee. And another thing that, from at least our vantage point, we didn't think was being done well enough was enough collaboration between the city and the county governments. And the city and the county governments, along with some of the, the folks from CMS, share a building, the triangular building down there on Davidson Street, um, and yet somehow never seem to talk to each other or never seem to work on a whole lot together. And that was a bit frustrating because um, we are approximately 80-some percent of the total population of Mecklenburg County are residents of Charlotte. Uh, and therefore, there should probably be a lot of collaboration between those two governmental entities. In this case, the Mecklenburg County government owns Memorial Stadium, but we found a way to invest in it a, a couple million dollars from our hospitality and tourism fund at the city to be partners with them so that we have dates we can use for events, uh, but also we have some skin in the game and show some willingness to be that kind of a partner uh, and we'll look to them to do the same on some of so our So clearly products. the dates don't make a whole ton of ROI sense, but did we buy ourselves some goodwill? Tracy? Yes. We did. Yeah, you definitely did. And I think if you look at, you look at that project, and I think you were the one, um, Councilmember Eggleston, that brought it up. Um, the same night that we had the vote on Memorial Stadium, we were also talking about the pedestrian bridge that was connecting over 277. Hmm. And that was another one where the county was participating in one of our projects. And so it is a constant partnership um, between projects and how we work together. Well, so that you mentioned the pedestrian bridge for the rail trail, where it, if anybody's been on the rail trail, you probably know that around Moorhead Street, it just kind of stops. And there's no real easy way to get across 277 to pick it back up through uptown. How much do you think, obviously when we talk about investing in the convention center or sports stadiums or music venues, um, obviously that brings tourism, that brings new jobs, new people. Um, but things like the rail trail, how much does placemaking play into creating a place that people want to be? Because a lot of what makes people want to be in Nashville or in Austin or in wherever um, that are so popular, for, whether it's conventions or bachelor bachelorette parties or corporate uh, relocations isn't necessarily the convention center or the hockey arena or the whatever, it's a sense of place. So things like the rail trail contribute to that. How do you think that plays into trying to cultivate a, a stronger hospitality and tourism industry? It, it's absolutely critical. Think about it. If you have friends that come to town and you say, where, where should we go? What should we check out? How many people nowadays say South End? I mean, I know a lot of people that say you have to go see South End, you have to go check out a couple breweries. That's not one project. That's 20 years, 20 plus years of planning and infrastructure that's somewhat been purposeful, but also happened organically. It's the placemaking that brings everybody to that. So not only is it a great place, just talking about South End and now the, that direct connectivity, um, but it's not just a great place to live. It's where people are telling visitors to go. Go check out this really cool part of, part of town. No dog is the same way. Lumberjacks is the only place I recommend for people to go. Axe throwing. Is everyone familiar with Lumberjacks? <laughs> yes, you need to be there. Tark has never been so excited as when he found out he could drink and throw axes. I mean, it was just time. a no-brainer. I was scratching my place. head like, how didn't I invent this? You may and not want to go with your stuff in my own there. <laughs> also, I might note, in District 1. Oh, that's great, Larkin. <laughs> um, it's the number one district. So what about Eastland, right? Eastland has been a tough one for me personally because that part of town is obviously hurting and has been hurting for a long time. Um, but when I look back, like anytime the city comes and says, well, we should purchase real estate, I get these like Eastland flashbacks of like just how I feel like we, we almost may have been more part of the problem through that process 
uh, than, than the solution in the early days. So, you know, in the beginning, we had something that was obviously going in a downturn. There was an opportunity where the Economic Development Committee at the time looked at it and said, we could purchase it for X dollars. I'm going to make them up because it's been so long, I don't remember. Let's say $12 million. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. And then it gets worse. And later on, they decide to buy it for like $13 million or something. Every time, the city is not in that business. And they have just maybe caused more harm by trying to wait for exactly what it was they want or pick things that didn't make sense. How is this time uh, going to be different, Tracy? So let me step back for a second, because I think when you're looking at, in your city, when you're looking at purchasing real estate, I think it's, it's one of two things. Is you're looking at purchasing because there's a strategy around it. And perhaps with Eastland, we didn't always have the exact strategy, but we knew with 70 acres, 69 now to be exact, to develop that it could be something transformative. Um, I think the recession through this process hurt us and all that. Where we are right now is we, the staff, have made a recommendation um, on a development team. And I think where we work this one to make sure that it's successful is we really treat this like a joint venture project. And I've, I've taken my private sector perspective on this. It's not just a sell of land of, say, here's 70 acres and hope and pray that a development team can pull this off. It is something that I look at the city is the landowner. Um, we're ultimately in control of it. And it's selecting the right master developer that is going to create momentum out there. It's going to bring visitors out there. Um, and it's, it's going to then pull in the right partners that are going to see that project come to fruition. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen over many, many years in several phases of development. Um, but I do think, does anybody know, by the way, how far Eastland is from, from uptown? Anybody got a guess? Three? Five. Five. It's six miles and two stoplights. And a lot of times, I don't think people realize that from its, from its proximity. I think we kind of just think of it as being further, further out. Um, so again, it's a partnership. It's not a quick one and done of you picked a developer and that's it, have a good day. This is something where we've got to think through a lot of the phases, but in a way that creates momentum. Let's talk before we entertain some questions. Mm. What are your thoughts on the new owner of the Carolina Panthers? I love this dude. Love this guy. And it's not just because he sits this high because his wallet's so thick. It's because he's hilarious. Have you, have you guys seen him with the press? That is worth his, him taking over the team alone. I think it's great. I think there's still a chapter yet to be written about how he, uh, how he comes and asks us for stuff, and we're going to have to work through all that. But just seeing kind of his style, obviously, you probably have some thoughts. We, we were in Atlanta for the inner city trip recently, and we got to sit inside the bowels of, uh, I've used that word several times today. That's strange. Uh, the bowels of Mercedes Stadium and, uh, and, and the, uh, the Falcons, and and their MLS team, which I'm big into MLS. I just can't remember the name of the team. United. United, you see, soccer, the feet and stuff. Um, so uh, I think it's very interesting that he seems so interested in soccer. Yeah, and for anybody who hadn't seen, just in the last couple of weeks he hired, and, and I just looked up his name an hour ago, but Tracy had to remind me what it is, just hired a new team president who has previous experience with Manchester United, one of the biggest. David Beckham, I nope. believe, was the guy's name. <laughs> nope. The only soccer player you could think of, and that's not it. He wasn't a player, but he was in management for the Manchester United, one of the larger soccer clubs in Europe. So I do, I do think that there is, he certainly has an eye towards MLS. We've got a great professional soccer team here now, the Charlotte Independents that play out in Matthews, um, as well as a, a professional lacrosse team with the same ownership group that play out in Matthews. They will both be moving to Memorial Stadium, which we just talked about a bit ago, um, for the 2021 season tentatively. So uh, we've got great soccer here in the community, but MLS has proven to be, and I'll say, I, I would have never imagined MLS would become as successful as it has been. Uh, Tarek mentioned the Atlanta United and the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is Literally world class. Stadium. Everyone knows the nickname of that place. I assume. No, I don't have to no say one wants it. to know your. No one calls it that. Everyone calls it that. I won't say it. This just is, Google it. Nickname of the Mercedes Benz Stadium. Don't Google it. Uh, It'll at be least, a, at least not on your. Just work Google phone. it. It'll be available later tonight on Google and in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually funny. That was good. <laughs> 
It's, it's so rare that I feel compelled to give him credit when he actually... See, when I make, do something really funny, he does that face right there. He's like... I don't think anyone can see your face. Anyway, uh, wrap that thought up and let's hear Tracy's thoughts on that. Um, uh, but they are selling out this stadium, and yeah. it's, it's really mind-blowing that, uh, that in Atlanta, in a stadium, I mean, in a city where you've got a lot of transplants, that, that's kind of become the team. I mean, people have moved there and adopted this new team, and it's, it's really... The fan support is incredible. The MLS is doing well around the country, but Atlanta's a shining star. The other thing that I like about it is um, Tark, obviously with being a Republican, more of the fiscal conservative at times, but I think both of us agree that building... Apologize for caring about your money, folks. I think building a just soccer-specific stadium to the tune of tens of millions of dollars for MLS is not something I'm going to have much of an appetite for. In Atlanta, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons and, uh, and the United, has found a way to use a stadium for both and really make it feel like home to both. And I think that is hopefully the model that David Tepper will see going forward for football and soccer to coexist in what will be uh, continue to be one of the best outdoor stadiums in the NFL. What do you think, Trace? So I She's not say, as allowed to be as freewheeling as we are about some of these topics. <laughs> this but. is true. Um, I, I will say that it's been fascinating to learn where the industry of football is moving into as well as the industry of... Football. Of, Football. Football, yeah. As well as the industry of, of MLS and how they might come together in Charlotte. Um, I will note that Tom Glick also has experience um, in basketball as well as, I think, baseball. So he comes in pretty diverse, which I think is exciting. It's something new. And I also think that having new ownership is um, pretty exciting, too. The way that David Tepper has chosen to engage the community um, and be with the fans, you know, and, and kind of get out there. And so... For us, I think it builds a lot of excitement as to what's, what's to come, what's to come around the stadium. You know, we talked about the Stonewall Corridor or earlier, excuse me, and if you I mentioned Gateway, you know, there's this great opportunity to keep that momentum on Stonewall Corridor going and just turn the corner and take it down to um, Graham Street, connect into what's happening up at Camp North End. I think you guys have talked about a little bit what's happening over at... Um, where Avid Exchanges. The music, oh, the music factory. factory. The music factory, thank you. I don't know why I lost that mm -hmm. for a second. Um, and really start to make all these connections of these great um, amenities and places and placemaking that we have in our city. So to me, this is a unique opportunity that also connects that. Um, and we'll see what's, what's to come once Glick gets here. Okay, well. Before, it, one yeah, more thing well, since she mentioned it yeah, before we go to continue, questions. Please. Because the Gateway Station, I think, is a game changer for this industry in, in really all of Charlotte, but um, as far as our visitors getting to Charlotte and their initial impression and their initial experience uh, as they enter our city, talk a little bit about the Gateway Station, which um, if some of you don't know, is really going to be our, our transportation hub a la a Union Station in Denver or some of the more like large city transportation hubs that you've probably experienced. Yeah, so we talk about a Union Station out of Denver. That's kind of the model that everybody um, thinks about. Union Station in Denver has a hotel connected to it. Um, and it's just a, a really cool place, whether you're going somewhere or not. Um, but this project is joint between the, the city and the state. Where we both have land in the deal. Um, it is 16 acres in total. So it's not one city block. It is multiple city blocks. Um, and again, has the opportunity to be transformative. Today, we estimate that Amtrak brings in a couple hundred people a day, game days. I think it's estimated at about eight to 900 people come in on the train. And so think about that. Somebody coming in from, from Raleigh or somewhere else and can come into, the, and come into the station, which would be between Trade Street and 4th Street, and walk right to, the, walk right to uh, a baseball game, Panther Stadium, or anything, anything uptown. Uh, Raleigh just opened their Union Station uh, earlier this year, and the first trains are starting to run out of that. The track work has actually been underway uh, for a little while now, and hopefully by this fall we'll start selecting a developer for, for Gateway Station. And again, the station being the first thing that we want to get out of this. And over time, the other uh, acreage will develop out. So I think it's exciting. It's, it's going to solidify the kind of west end and connect what's happening um, at Johnson & Wells back closer in into town. Because if any of you have, is anybody here, it's hard for us to see hands when they go up, but has anybody here ever been to the Amtrak station in Charlotte? 
Mm -hmm. so about pretty, 10 of you. It's pretty terrible. Uh, it's kind of small, a little out of date, um, and probably not the place that, uh, for many of you that, that are at an attraction or a hotel or anywhere, that's not necessarily the best first impression we can give people of Charlotte. And so that's true. Um, as, as people are able to make that extra two, three miles into Uptown and, and land there and step out and be looking at the skyline and across the street at the baseball stadium and the football stadium and, um, and walk right to your hotel or walk right to your restaurant or your attraction, I think that's going to be a lot better first impression for us to make. I think it's important, too, that this station serves an opportunity that maybe one day high-speed rail comes through there, and we start to think about connecting to Atlanta or connecting to Raleigh and beyond. Um, so that's an opportunity. And it also will connect uh, to the rest of our transit system. So not only coming into uptown, it's important when we're getting to other parts of our city and eventually our region. I yeah, want to put it all underground. That's but it. you don't want to spend holes, money, right? Straight underground to Atlanta. See, that's supposed to be a joke. He, and then to, uh, he hit on one earlier, but... Brazil. Okay. So we're going to now move into the uh, beloved section of uh, Quiz Show, where I will read funny rap lyrics, and you guys will try oh God. to tell me who the artist is. This never goes as well I'll as I'll start easy, and then I will get harder. Are you ready? I woke up out that coma 2001, about the same time Dre dropped 2001. Oh, man. Help Everybody. me. I Somebody said help me. Yeah. The game. Yes, you lose. The funny thing is, uh, Dre's 2001 actually came out in 1999. Everybody knows that. Next, um, we from two different cities, Minnesota and Philly. Only person I know from Minnesota is Prince. Nobody cares about this. Freeway, game. sorry. And, and uh, that is not a city, it's a state. That's why I put that one on there. Um, how about she said, do you love me? I tell her only partly, I only love my bed and my mama, I'm sorry. I know that song, but I can't, his, his corny white guy voice always throws me off when he tries to play this game. So I, I don't know. And now we'll take real questions. Drake. Okay. Yeah, I don't Man, like Drake. Once again, thanks um, for, for proving you know nothing about. Yes. All right, so we have two uh, hand mics going around. Anything to stop that foolish game. Uh, well, let's do another one then. That's fine. you've got some questions for any of the three of us, but anything the city's working on or anything in the hospitality and tourism industry that you're seeing that maybe the city needs to be aware of. So I, we can't see hands, so turn and look at the people who have microphones and flag them down because oh, we, we can't go. see you. We're in these rotisserie lights and blinding. Larkin is sweating profusely. It's very hot up here. <laughs> Just want to get inside, I guess, the three of your minds about when these projects come across your tables, right? How do you prioritize them? You know, think about whether it's for your... Um, District. Your team, your the committees that you are on are just like the city, the district, the state, the region. How do you prioritize a lot of these projects? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's, there's a finite amount of resources, even that, though it is nice to be able to say when we spend tourism uh, and hospitality tax dollars, those are not tax dollars coming out of your pocket or my pocket or our neighbor's pockets. Um, it is still a finite amount of, of money. And so we have to be able to say, is this going to have a, a big impact on a, a large part of town, on a large industry? Is it going to create jobs? Uh, is it going to do a good job of placemaking and making Charlotte more of a destination? Um, so we can't just say yes to everything. And I think there's some things that have been batted around of late that people are starting to say, well, you know, if you could have everything, that'd be a nice to have, but maybe it's not a need to have. And so it's, it's difficult. And there's always going to be people that... Um, you know, one interesting example, I'm sure some of you who were here until like 10 years ago, um, there's always going to be the dissenting opinion. So when the city and the county and everybody wanted to partner up and bring Knight Stadium uptown, which I think everyone in this room and just about everyone in the city would agree has been a huge success moving them downtown. Went from the worst attendance in minor league baseball to the best attendance in minor league baseball. And then all of the things that have built up around that stadium, it's been um, a perfect example of what we should be using those dollars for. Even then, there was a guy who kept filing lawsuits and delayed that project five, six, seven years uh, because he said, no, that, I don't want to build that stadium. We need to be pursuing Major League Baseball. No one else felt that way, but it didn't matter. He managed to slow that process down. So there's, there's always going to be people that disagree with anything we do with tax dollars. The majority of people, you guys are in the industry, so you probably understand it, but the average person doesn't understand the hospitality and tourism tax dollar. 
they look at it and they say, well, they're putting money into the Memorial Stadium that could be put into paying teachers. Well, we don't have anything to do with paying teachers. And that tax fund that's generated by heads and beds in your hotels has to be used for things that benefit the hospitality and tourism industry. But again, the average person doesn't understand that that piggy bank can only be used for that thing and we can't go pay teachers with those dollars. So there's always gonna be the public blowback on any of those spends. Um, we just have to figure out which ones are gonna have the biggest return on investment. But, but even within that bucket, I mean, it, one, he's correct that people, there's so many confusing buckets of money that what they can be used for, it makes it confusing. But even within each of the buckets, one of my critiques has been, you know, we still kind of don't have a macro sense of what is the whole portfolio of what we're spending now and have spent, what we could spend, and then what, and, and how does that all, I feel like we get kind of piecemealed information. Um, and earlier in this budget year, I fought really hard, as did several others, to give uh, police officers a, a very much needed raise. And instead of going and just saying, well, that's what we need, let's do that, I went around and tried to find other things to actually cut. And again, I found something in stormwater which was not a necessarily a, um, you know, it was, it's definitely nice to have, but when we benchmark to other cities, you could see, well, this isn't like imperative. Other cities don't always do this, and we went down this path 25 years ago for a couple of reasons. So we could make a cut there, maybe a little painful, but not gonna ruin us, and do something that is absolutely in our core competency, which is pay our police officers. And that, that ultimately didn't get pushed through, but that's the kind of prioritization we need because I would have been completely head over heels in support of this budget had we not raised taxes. And, and that was, we could have done it. It was very clear to me that we could have done it. We simply decided not to. You wanna weigh in on that before we go to the next question? I'll just hit it really quickly because I, when I look at economic development, I look at it very holistically. And so to the point, I think about the visitors first, employees, residents, and in those kind of three, because if we're not, and how all that connects in, so prioritizing, it could be transportation projects to fit into how is it working with our citizens, our visitors, employees, um, but then also to something you said earlier, which was that return on investment. Why do we spend $15 million over here or $30 million over here on different venues? What makes sense, why? And starting to ask some of those questions, um, and it comes back to, it's not just, if we, we invest this much, we get this many more visitors, but it's more of what is the larger impact that comes from that? And perfect example is, is uh, Knight Stadium. Tra this sparked a, a memory of something Tracy said just an hour or two ago when we were kind of brainstorming and prepping for the show. Um, she was saying all residents, all corporate relocations, all those people start as visitors by and large, right? I mean, no one hardly moves to a city without ever setting foot in it. No one's gonna move their company to Charlotte without coming and doing site visits and, and getting the lay of the land. And so um, part of what you, we have in, in creating those attractions and creating that sense of place in Charlotte is by bringing people here, it opens their eyes to, to what Charlotte has to offer. It opens their minds to the possibility that this is a place I might wanna move and raise my family. This is a place I might want to move and grow my business. Um, and that's why we, we look to and rely on, on all of you in the hospitality industry to make that impression on people and make it feel welcoming and make it feel like a place that they want their family and their business and, and their money to be. So That's why it's important that we tax the hell out of them on that first visit. Yeah. Like when they get here, they need, to, they need to see that check. That was $3. That's the corporate credit card. Nobody's paying any taxes. attention to those taxes. Yes. All right, we got time for two more questions. Good morning, Kimberly Brannigan with the Charlotte Destination Group. So we do a lot of event planning in the convention industry. So speaking of prioritizing and buckets uh, for budgets, talk a little bit about the convention hotel at the university, how that came about and the value we see in spending money there. So for anybody that doesn't know, we just recently contributed $8 million um, to the UNCC's, UNC Charlotte's foundation. They're building a hybrid hotel and conference center. And it's gonna be right off of the JW Clay light rail stop. And we saw it as an opportunity and they see it as an opportunity to attract a lot of um, convention symposiums, research type events and, um, and gatherings that one of the things that Tark mentioned earlier, HQ2 for Amazon, one of the things that people often decry about Charlotte is we don't have a, a large enough pool of tech talent. We, um, don't have a research institution, which we would all take exception with, as would the chancellor of, of UNC Charlotte. They're doing a lot of great things uh, in research and informatics and, and stuff Tarek's been involved with. 
people don't know enough about it and it's, it's still kind of a, a growing program, but this will be something that they can have as a feather in their cap to bring a lot of this business, bring a lot of this research and, and these thought leaders and, um, and it's tied right into our light rail system. So it'll be an extension of Uptown in a way that if there's a convention going on down here, it's another hotel option for people to get right on the train, come right into Uptown. And we also, Tarek mentioned as well, a lot of times on these projects we'll negotiate use dates, free use dates. And so what we've been able to do, some of you might remember there have been discussions over the last handful of years about attracting amateur sports. Uh, if any of you have kids or ever played sports on a traveling team growing up, you know how much parents spend on these AAU basketball teams or traveling volleyball teams or whatever it is, competitive cheerleading stuff. There are whole cities that have made this like a core piece of their hospitality and tourism industry is attracting these amateur sports events, which then attracts the parents and they bring the siblings and they all go out to dinner and stand in hotels for, for a week at a time. Um, we'll be able to utilize some dates at different athletic facilities at UNC Charlotte as part of our investment uh, to attract more of that amateur sports business. Uh, so I think it was a win-win from a couple. I, I was slightly points. squeamish on it when I saw it, but I talked to him, and, and I guess the, he's, he basically gave the, the whole overview. That was a good one. The only thing I'd say is, in order, I'm a big fan of UNC Charlotte. I, the Amazon stuff just let us know what we already knew, which is no one knows we have any university research capabilities, and this facility enables them, among many other things, most importantly, to be able to get these global kind of tier one premier conferences of university research-based uh, activities there because a lot of them will not go and take it to a university that doesn't have a facility that's basically on the campus where people can interact. So to me, that, that made it seem like it was worth it. The only thing I'll add to that is, is it's a great, and you both have hit on it, but it's a great example of kind of this cross collaboration. It gets our community on the university campus um, but it also gets them, they brought a facility, while it's on their campus, it's on the edge of their campus. So that will help surrounding hotels, surrounding restaurants, and all that. So it grows that kind of partnership between the universities around economic development. It, I mean, we have talent here, and the fact that now we can have some of these conferences helps demonstrate that we have and we're growing talent here. Yeah. So I think it's just an overall great partnership. All right, one more. Who wants to close us out? There we go. Another Larkin fan, I bet. Larkin, you were so witty today. Uh, hi, my name's Ted, and currently I serve on the board with NACE. Um, I know a lot of people in here are a part of that, and part of my position with that is spearheading a student chapter at Johnson & Wells, being an alum from there. And so specifically with a lot of these projects, especially the Gateway Station, it's right next to our dorms, the apartments, the campus, what opportunities, you know, with tra you know, training the students to be prepared for the next workforce in the hospitality industry, um, what opportunities are they going to have to be a part of this new movement, these, you know, developments? Um, you know, maybe on a, a way that they transition from not just graduating but staying in Charlotte, but also just being a part of these movements that they have a, not necessarily a say, but a piece in this. Because yeah. um, obviously, from my experience, some students, they stay, but then a lot of students, they go around the globe because Johnson & Wales has those kind of connections. But how do we keep them here to be a part yeah, of that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll answer it generically, and then you can answer it Johnson & Walesy. Um, <laughs> the wildcat way. Yeah, the wildcat way. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm over-the-top passionate about fintech, which I think dovetails perfectly into, into what you're talking about and what we're focusing on right now. And I think this is where the puck is going to be skating towards it with next year's budget. And what Tracy's doing is how do we focus in, within the, the area of economic development within workforce development? And we're, we're doing things like retraining and uptraining folks in a new way that doesn't require a two or a four year degree. Very specific spot training of, okay, we ha you need to learn eight development languages for front and back end development to be able to go work at one of these banks or at one of these fintech startup companies. So really focusing on that angle of workforce development and uptraining and retraining, paired with the fact, something I didn't mention earlier, is that uh, a part of the, I'm on the board of this group called Innovate Charlotte that we're turning into NCLT Labs. And in partnership with the city, which is still very early days, we're working on not just building kind of this lab physical environment where the community can come in and interact with different 
angles of government and angles, angles of the entrepreneur world where we focus on mentoring entrepreneurs who want to do something but maybe don't know how. Mentoring and, and coaching and teaching uh, minority and women-owned businesses who want to get contracts with the city. Um, you know, bringing our different departments of the city in, in waves together in this spot where they can come and sit next to a startup doing real cutting edge stuff and we can learn how to be the best smart city by beta testing and doing innovation like that. So I think there's a number of things underway. What's the, uh, what's the Walesy way? Wildcat. Um, Wildcats. I know there's some fellow Wildcats in here too, some of which have stayed in Charlotte, as you said, and, and created very successful businesses. I think Johnson Wales moved to Charlotte a little over a decade ago, I think was a, a great move, and I think is investments like the Gateway Station, a lot of the stuff that's going on in baseball stadium, and everything that's going on in third and fourth ward, I think are making that decision all the better because when I, I lived on Cedar Street, when I went to Johnson Wales, right by the Panthers practice fields, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on down there. Johnson Wales was kind of tucked away in its own little corner. Um, and now obviously that part of uptown has become so much more active and so much more alive. Uh, I think as far as where can they kind of tap into these opportunities, I think Johnson Wales has always done a good job. Uh, a decade ago, I did my externship at the Ballantyne Resort and now the Ballantyne Hotel and was able to work with a chef who had worked in the White House. I mean, the, the talent level in Charlotte was good then. It's so much better now. And I think, uh, I think Charlotte's on the cusp in the next five years of winning its first James Beard Award. I think that will change the whole landscape for the food and beverage scene in this community. I think we are becoming a place, much like Asheville and Charleston have historically been uh, known for, that people will come because there's a concentration of good places to eat and drink. And that wasn't like that 15 years ago. No, it wasn't like Not at all. Ten years ago, or hardly five, and I think Johnson Wales has contributed to that greatly because we have so many successful alumni that are staying and, and making uh, really authentic, genuine uh, experiences for people in the food and beverage world, and obviously becoming kind of brewery city, um, the second brewery city, if you will, in North Carolina behind Asheville has really changed the landscape of that too. So. I think there's a lot that, uh, that Johnson Wells has contributed to the city. I think the city's investment in a lot of those parts of uptown will contribute to the continued success of the university. And um, I, I really think that back to that placemaking, you can't, I mean, they were in Charleston, right? They were in Charleston and Norfolk. They closed those campuses and, and came to Charlotte. Um, that had a good deal to do with the success Charleston had in the food scene. There were so many of those chefs that were staying in Charleston and opening great restaurants and then becoming more and more successful with their business that that led to, in part, Charleston becoming such a food destination. And I think Charlotte's on that track, too. And um, so I'm a huge proponent. And, and also, it was mentioned, I'm on the advisory board for CPCC's culinary program, which I think opens up the doors to folks who might not have access to a Johnson & Wales. Um, we have options in the city where you can get great culinary educations at different price points and, and different needs, maybe an adult learner versus a straight out of high school student. Um, I think that those two programs are gonna continue to evolve the food scene to a place that it is more of an attraction, brings more people to the city um, and gives us more of a sense of place. If everyone could take a second, clear your calendar. Larkin's gonna talk about food for the rest of the morning. Once you get him going on that stuff, man, he doesn't stop. <laughs> By Tracy. the way, Winston, your chairs aren't great and the mic's cut out, but whoever did the food today some of the best food we've had for a visit Charlotte breakfast in a long time, so. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy, any final thoughts from you? Not on that. Can I ask one question really quick? Sure. To us? To the group. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. To the group. So there was two fundraisers mentioned in the beginning, the Girls' Day Out and Girls' Day Away and Repelling. Who thinks these guys should be repelling or should volunteer for Girls', when, girls Day Out? already asked. I'm already repelling, so, but I only, my requirement was I had to go like upside down Navy Steel style down, the, down the, the building. Let me belay for him, Winston. I'll be in charge of his safety rope. Is that, is that a part of the word? Does that mean like doing something? Did belay? I use belay right? I don't know. We, don't, we do it on the side of the building. Right. I can watch from the government center. I think it's on the NASCAR uh, <laughs> plaza side of the building. Done. I'm in. Anyway. Bargain's out. Eh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's not really my cup of tea. We are, we are going to wrap up because we are going to do something kind of crazy right now. Yeah. And we'll include this as a little snippet of our podcast when you listen to it tonight or tomorrow. Um, we're going to go, it's Don't Marine listen. Week, so hopefully you've seen a lot of uh, folks in town at your businesses, your attractions for Marine Week. So 
Welcome to all the folks uh, in Charlotte for that. We're going to go ride on a very dangerous, apparently, military helicopter yes. uh, at 11 o'clock today. So we're going to wrap it up. But we appreciate the invitation to join you guys for Visit Charlotte this morning. Appreciate all you being here and hope you listen to the podcast. Thank you. One more big round of applause for them, guys. Woo! And don't forget, podcast tonight only. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, it might be a little noisy right now, and we can't hear anything because we have uh, headsets and earplugs, and we are walking towards uh, an osprey. What's going through your head right now, buddy? It's pretty awesome. We're uh, on the runway. The osprey is uh, like if an airplane and a helicopter had a child, and then that child is on steroids. How, how dangerous is this? How dangerous does it feel right now, Larkin? I'm, I'm not sure, which is probably better. That's right. We're also with Matthew Ridenauer. Matthew Ridenauer is a Marine. Hey, sir, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Marine week. I do. It's uh, You're about to go on an Osprey. How yes. do you feel about that? Good. You Good. can't hear anything I'm saying, can you? Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Things are getting louder as we <laughs> approach it. We'll yeah. check back in shortly with Matthew Ridenauer, the county commission as well. We're getting close to this, to this Osprey here. Things should probably be pretty loud right now. These uh, these uh, blades look awful, uh, awful scary. We'll be back. So uh, we're here now inside the Osprey. I'm not even sure if uh, you can you can hear my voice because it is freaking loud. This thing they are going all over the place. I'm feeling slightly nauseous. Not gonna lie, but. Uh, what an experience, man, I'm telling you. This guy, they have the back deck, the back gate open, and there's a guy who's harnessed in who's walking down there near it. Pretty freaking unbelievable. Uh, taking a few boots. I think I might barf. Larkin has a look on his face, clearly of uh, also barfing. Um, he's sitting next to Michael Smith of Center City Partners, a couple down from us, Matthew Ride, now our county commissioner. There's Sir Purr uh, down there on the end. He, he also looks like he's going to throw up. It's quite an experience. The inside of this thing is incredible. I mean, it's just like wide open uh, hoses and wires everywhere. I mean, this thing is definitely meant for serious, serious duty. So they're about to take the helicopter blades that are facing upward like a helicopter. And I think they said they're going to shift them down we're gonna hear this crazy like screaming noise as they shift them forward to like a plane position and in midair we're gonna start flying like really fast like a plane so we'll let you know how that goes or they'll find my phone in the black box and be able to uh, figure out what all happened here today we'll be right back okay we're back in the comfort of Larkin's uh, car here Larkin um, we, we we were just talking about how we felt that was so intense they should have maybe gave us a, a little bit of a heads up what we were getting into. Yeah, we thought we were going to do a uh, little sightseeing tour, and we did. In uh, short order, we made it all the way out past the Charlotte Motor Speedway and back to the airport. But uh, in the interim, did like a parabolic loop, or I don't know what you call that thing, but a little bit of zero G, a little bit of a couple of Gs going into some sort of hard banked turn where we felt like we were on our side uh yeah i'm a little uh a little dizzy i, I don't know i i'm feeling right now like i feel like when i go to amusement parks and ride one of those rides that like is a you know virtual experience and i'm sick for the next six hours we should also mention that we were riding in this thing with the hatch remaining the back hatch was left open so that was a little different than your normal plane ride yeah plus you ate like all this like uh this crazy uh yeah, a like uh, a lot of food this morning a lot of food this morning and uh you almost got to see some of it again so let's just cap her off we had a great morning uh over at uh nascar hall of fame with the crva crowd and everyone doing the live podcast rushed right over i mean to to ride the osprey and experience that i mean this is just a typical wednesday for us though right 
Yeah, well, back to the grind now. But uh, very cool opportunities this week with Marine Week being in town. And uh, I'm, that's going to be pretty hard to top, though. It will. It will. And here's to all the Marines, everyone who's in town, everyone who's um, really going to enjoy a lot of festivities around here to celebrate a real special organization. So final words, Larkin? Yeah, anybody uh, who's interested, get uptown. There's going to be stuff going on all week at First Ward Park and thereabouts. Uh, You can see the Osprey. You can see a lot of the uh, helicopters and planes and and different apparatus that the Marines have and activities for the whole family all week long. So get out and check out Marine Week. Once again, glad to have our R&D and the QC listeners along with us for these uh, really cool, one-of-a-kind events. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed today. We'll be back next week. Later. Who win it now?